Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I dot com. If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Claren's multi-active cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Claren's has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C-Holly bioextract, Claren's multi-active cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash true crime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash true crime with promo code true crime. Clarins.com slash true crime with promo code true crime. On this show, we cover some sensitive topics. Though the obituaries may be outlandish, the people are real. Names have been changed or omitted in order to respect both the deceased and the survived by. While death is no laughing matter, some petty last words can provide some pretty entertaining comic relief. Welcome to Obituary. Welcome back to Obituary. I'm Spencer Henry. And I'm Madison Reyes. Madison, how's it feel sitting over there? You know, I am so propped up. I am like a wax figure. (laughs) We have new chairs. So cute. And actually more comfortable than I would think with the low back. Uh They're like barrel chairs. These chairs took... They're beautiful. Forever. <laughs> They're amazing, worth the wait. But oh my God, you know, I like to slouch over. It's kind of hard. I told you when you came in to sit down, I'm like, you're going to have better posture after this, which has been a theme in my life actually lately. Oh my God, Spencer, tell them about this contraption. Which one? Have I shown you the other one? No. 
now. What's the other one? Tell them about the other one that I have while I go get the other one. Oh my god. Okay, so Spencer has this thing he puts around his neck and it's filled with air and it has a pump connected to it. So he sits there and he pumps it and it fills up huge around his neck and it like stretches his neck like if he were like a Barbie doll his head would pop off what is this what is that harness what is this harness oh my god it looks like a gun holster oh you're so cool looks like you're wearing a backpack I want to try it okay so this is oh I see how that would work I don't know what it's called It's a posture corrector and it's like a basically it's a backpack without the backpack, just the straps. And Mm -hmm. it makes you like forces you to sit upright. Yeah. I don't know. You know what it is? It's those damn cameras. There's one in my like hallway between the kitchen and the living room. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll get little clips sent to my phone of me walking in the morning or walking at night. And I'm like hunched over in some of them. I'm like, I'm starting, I've become a real sloucher. Uh Uh-huh. So we got to nip that in the bud. So now I'm doing my posture corrector episodes. Get ready for my new podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you don't look weird at all. The postcast. The postcast, yes. So he wears this thing around his neck that looks so uncomfortable. (laughs) And now he wears a backpackless backpack. I don't know what my other options are. I don't trust chiropractic. I don't Mm -hmm. I think it's dangerous and I don't think it's real and so I'm like just gonna try and do my at home remedy remedies oh my western medicine your eastern eastern medicine medicine. (laughs) perfect oh my gosh okay so last week we had a meeting in Beverly Hills yes the cool thing was Madison and I both watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Mm -hmm. and Mauricio's office the second we pulled into the parking garage you're like the agency that's the agency that's Mauricio's office oh we were like peeking in trying to see if we could see him oh we got the full Beverly Hills experience we pull into the parking garage we park next to this Range Rover where this guy's doing a bump Mm-hmm. And his he car was next fully to us. doing coke, uh huh. But true LA fashion, traffic is horrible to get anywhere, and mm-hmm. so we're like, let's just let it die down a little bit, and let's go to Swingers. So we went to Swingers. We ate. We stuffed our face, and then do you want to tell them what we did? Well, we were sitting there, and I was like, I tried to look to see if the Museum of Death was open. Well, okay. So the first time I went there, this was a couple years ago. I you d- and I had a similar experience. Mm-hmm. We were like, it feels really heavy. It also feels like it's very exploitative in some areas. Mm -hmm. I was a little turned off by that. Mm -hmm. But I was like, with everything we've done now, I'd be interested to go back and re-go through it, which I still would be because I think it would be interesting to see like with what we know now. But they were closed. I guess they're moving or something. And so I was telling Madison, like, I was going to try and see if we could go to the Museum of Death, but it's closed. And then you were like, well... Madame Tussauds. What about the Wax Museum? What about the Wax Museum? If you guys remember, I did a whole 
episode on death masks and talked about Madame Tussauds. Yeah. And her connection to making death masks after huge executions of very powerful people. And so we went to the wax museum. We, we ventured down from our quaint Beverly Hills afternoon to the dredges of Hollywood Boulevard. God, just a couple streets is like a shock. It's insane. Well, it's because it's kind of like it's the Times Square of Hollywood yeah. where I always feel bad when I see so many families there because I'm like, there's you different know. areas. There's go mm-hmm. go elsewhere because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people, they come to L.A. and move to L.A. Hollywood, baby. They move to Hollywood because they're like, oh, this is Hollywood. When really you're like, no, this is where you're going to get harassed to get on every star bus tour for and the next hour. Yes, and SpongeBob's going to come up to you but it's not spongebob it's no rough bob from down the corner (laughs) who just got out of the fucking detox center which hey i can say it i've been to rehab i'll say it it's sponge bill and rough and like spider-man who just belly out belly out we're not shaming no, I'm just observing. Just an observation. The truth is the truth. <laughs> it's rough. Oh my God. And we walked by and a guy had two pythons around his neck and I just She had said, to... scooted on by. Oh, but God. we started. Okay, this is the thing. We started at Madame Tussauds. And first of all, we walk in there. Madison, you were like a little kid. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> You guys, I thought it would just be like a funny, like, oh, we're walking through the wax museum. Uh No, this bitch is starstruck. She is taking selfies with every single (laughs) wax statue. All of them. It's like fucking Jason Derulo. And she's like, oh, Zac Efron, I got a good (laughs) selfie. Well, first we walk in and there's Lucy. Did not look like Lucy. Did not look like Everyone was saying, uh, responding, because I put it on my stories on Instagram. They were like, it looks like Joan Cusack. (laughs) It did. Okay, but whatever they did for Betty White was spot on because that one freaked me out. There's another one that freaked me out that we'll get to, but Betty White probably freaked me out the most. Mm, She looked very realistic. She was standing right by the elevator like, come on. I was one inch from the face too. I was examining every little follicle. You would think... I mean, you probably melted some of them with your breath with how <laughs> in there you were. You were like, what's going on here? Oh, my God. I loved it. Loved it. It felt like a proud parent moment. Like, I was just watching <laughs> you have the time of your life. And oh, I'm I, like, I would have still been there if you let me. <laughs> I know. I was, like, walking through, and she's like, wait, hold on. I got to see everything. I got to see everything. I'm yeah. like, all right. I will let you see everything. So we tried on all the costumes, all the clothes, which, by the way, monkey monkeypox is going rampant I guess in LA and they were saying do not try on clothes at stores or anything and all I could think about was us at the fucking wax museum like putting, putting on, on wigs <laughs> putting oh on my everything God. Simon Cowell oh Madison thought it was real I thought it was a real she I was said like, that's not gonna... a wax person that's actually Simon Cowell I said nope not <laughs> It's not that the he, case. I was like, maybe he was filming something for something because he was sitting. Mm-hmm. And I went up to him and was just like I'm ready for the jump scare. <laughs> God. But I think both of our favorites, they had like a full old Hollywood section that yes. was incredible. And then they had a horror section, which was so cool. Mm-hmm. With oh. like Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, it was so or cool. Or was he in the old Hollywood? He was in the old Hollywood and they had the psycho bathtub. And yes. 
But yeah, everybody you can think of, it was so cool. And then we walked on over to Ripley's, believe it or not. Oh, we got us a two for one. Mm-hmm. We went over to Ripley's. Mm-hmm. We saw the infamous Marilyn dress that Kim K wore. Mm-hmm. Madison took a picture of it. I did. What else? We saw so much. I mean, I always like to see the weird, as do you, the uh-huh. weird stuff. We saw a fantasy coffin. <gasps> they had one on full display, which was so Smaller cool. Smaller than I thought. Yeah, must have been for a child. Mm-hmm. And then there was a foot. Yes. An there ancient was... Egyptian foot. <laughs> Wait. There was an old woman smoking a cigarette inside of the museum. Oh my god, I loved her. <laughs> we like go up to this one part and it looks kind of like it would be outside, but is very clearly inside still. Uh-huh. It's like a fake jungle that they have there. And I'm you like, went ahead of me and you came back. You're like, Madison, Madison. I'm like, there's a woman just smoking a cigarette right now. <laughs> she is just smoking a cigarette. I smelt the cigarette and I was literally like, no way is she doing it? Well, at first I was like, is this a ghost thing? Because I'm oh. smelling cigarette smoke. And they say that sometimes like ghosts mm-hmm. will appear like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, what am I oh, sensing? perfume before no i look over and i see fucking gladys from ohio standing in there and she's just fucking sneaky though smoking a cig she knew she wasn't supposed to she was hiding it in her other hand Uh uh-huh she had her arms crossed i wish she would have known we would have just oh i wish she would have blown smoke in my face me too i love it oh make your own rules babe Make your own rules. It's true. (laughs) So true. I just, honestly, I just love when older people do whatever the fuck they want. Absolutely. I mean, I don't love it if it's like fucked up or harmful. (laughs) Well, I guess cigarettes. Yeah, I don't know. But but you know what I mean? Like there's something kind of charming about this just like broad who's just like, I'm smoking a cigarette. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to, you're going to kick me out of Ripley's, believe it or not. Okay. But also she probably grew up in a time where you smoked inside all the time, anywhere, everywhere at the hospital. There's still places like that. When I used to travel, especially in the Midwest, I feel like I would go to some places where they had smoking sections still. Mm -hmm. The airport, uh, I think it was actually Atlanta airport. I don't know if it's still there, but a couple years ago I went there. I'd flown into Atlanta for something and i remember there was like people were going up to this one area to smoke inside the airport and i was like this is why vegas has it too yeah i don't mind the smell at all i like it <sighs> i think it depends sometimes a cigarette smells good mm-hmm. and especially i used to be like a smoker mm-hmm. and so sometimes it'll smell good and i'll be like i want one mm-hmm. and i'm like other times i'm like yeah no so then after Ripley's, we weren't done with our museum journey. We didn't want to be done. No. We almost got on a two hour car ride. No, we we almost didn't. You almost did. Madison stops and talks to this guy and she's like, where are you going? He's like telling her where the tour goes. And I said, Madison, I said, we are not doing a two. It was going to end at like midnight. I'm like, we are not <gasps> doing that. And you're like, all right. And so we ended up going live actually on Instagram at that point on the obituary Instagram, remember? And we were getting arrested by two bimbos. <laughs> <laughs> With the handcuffs, these two sexy girls. Yeah. Sexy cop girlies who said, we're going to place you under arrest. And, we and said, I said, no. No, don't do it. <laughs> and we ran and then we ended up at another fucking museum. The museum of, I don't remember what it's called. Um, Death something. No. Dark Illusion? Something like that. And it was like, 
props and characters from well all kinds movies. of movies really like a lot of horror movies uh-huh. and then also like cool. star wars and superheroes and that yeah. kind of stuff i loved all of it i like being a tourist in your own city mm-hmm. there's so much to explore and then we walked past the torture museum that will be there it's not open yet oh yeah the medieval torture museum yes so we'll be first in line there yeah if you're listening medieval torture museum we'd love to be honorary we'll cut the ribbon we'll cut the ribbon (laughs) we'll do it'd be cool we could do like a whole walkthrough maybe film it for them they like don't want that (laughs) they're like who are you but anyways tag medieval torture museum in the comments Tell them to let us cut the ribbon. Oh, yeah. Come on. We'll cut something. Let us do something. And then Saturday, we were together as well. We went to the Bob Baker Marionette Theater. Yes. Which was such a fun experience. If you're in LA, especially if you have children, mm-hmm. so cute, so fun. Or if you just love a vintage puppet. Uh-huh. Which we do. We do. And more news on that to come soon. <laughs> and we're not joking. <laughs> It was so cute and it was so fun. I was like, I want to live here. It was just like the best vintage vibes, the font on the signs and everything. I was like, wow. The floors, the ceilings, the walls, everything was just beautiful. So cute. And there was a little girl having a birthday party there. There was like us. We were like six adults sitting in a row like, hello. (laughs) There was like the cutest little girl having a birthday party there, which I'm like, God, that's the kind of shit that makes me want kids because I'm like, I think it's so cool as a parent to take them to something like that versus like fucking, I don't know, Chuck E. Cheese or something. Okay. Well, speaking of kids, Spencer, you know, one of my dearest friends. She's wild. I have a picture of me and her boobs next to my head in Vegas at your bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) She's the best. And you were telling me a few weeks ago about how you just discovered that your friend's family owns a mortuary. Yeah. Well, I just found out that her family owns a mortuary and has since the 1950s and that she grew up in the mortuary. And Love that. I was asking her some questions for the show. So I was asking her about embalming and she was like, oh, that was my favorite. I used to sit in the room. I loved watching them pick out blush colors. How old was she? Probably six or seven. She was always allowed to brush their hair. She just loved it. Above the mortuary was like a four-bedroom apartment. So that's where they lived. And she was just telling me all the crazy stories and how she used to, by her sisters, always get dared to go touch the body while they were like at the viewing. And so she'd like walk up and be like, okay, that's fine. And she'd like go touch the body. And as soon as she did, her sisters would turn all the lights out. Oh, Oh my gosh. Little troublemakers and probably not legal. (laughs) No. That's what we're going to bleep her name. Love it. But you know what? I think it was just a different time. Back in the old days, children could go touch bodies at the mortuaries. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that her sisters would just go turn off the lights. It's the best. Little assholes. God, kids can just be little assholes sometimes. Speaking of assholes, 
Do you have any for me? Oh, baby, do I? And I actually have two, both pertaining to obituaries today. Ooh. This first one says, am I the asshole for asking why I was omitted, why my kids were included without me, and for telling them I am hurt from being excluded from my stepmother of 35 years obituary? Hmm. Wordy title. Mm-hmm. It says, I was 15 and my baby sister was seven when my stepmom and dad got married. Our biological mom passed away when we were young adults and our stepmom was in our life longer than our biological mom was. We never had cross words, always treated our stepmom and step-siblings with love and respect. We thought we had a relationship with all of them. When she passed away a year ago, we were completely omitted slash excluded from her Hmm. obituary, but our children were included in the obituary with no mention of their parents. Also, at the funeral, when I introduced myself to the priest as my dad's daughter, he said my dad never told him that he had three biological children. It took me a year, but I asked them why we were omitted and how hurtful it was they said we were assholes for asking and that we should be ashamed of ourselves (laughs) for even saying we were hurt because it's their mom not ours am i the asshole don't sound like an asshole no what the hell i don't think they're an asshole at all i don't either they were voted not the asshole because part of me is like okay well what's the dynamic like between the kids and their parents or whatever but weird weird kind of goes back to like last week with the girl who was left out with like her grandma a Mm -hmm. lot and stuff like that weird this one says am i the asshole for being angry about how my grandfather wrote my mother's obituary Ooh. My mother, 46, suddenly passed away a week ago. She had multiple strokes at once and it completely blindsided my family. Mm. I, 23, legally am her heir as the only adult child and therefore am taking care of her affairs. We go and visit her father and stepmother one to two times a year for a few days. They live about four hours away from us. They chose not to come to the hospital on the day we took her off of life support and the next day called my father to let him know that they decided to throw their own funeral in the town she grew up in, even though she hasn't lived there for 25 years so that their side of the family wouldn't be quote unquote inconvenienced. What? They heavily implied that they didn't want my father to attend. What? When we explained that the date they chose coincided with the play that my mother had really wanted my younger sister to do, they asked if we could miss or reschedule it. When we explained that we had made plans for a service on the 21st, they said that my cousin's graduation was that day and that they wouldn't be attending. They did not ask about any of this at all and gave us a week's notice. This was also after our own group conversation about how my mother did not want a traditional religious service. Today, they, without asking any of us, put up her obituary online. (gasps) Oh, that's fucked. That is disrespectful they used a high school picture from the 90s and at the very bottom of it said that donations can be made to the caretaking center for my mentally disabled aunt in the city where they live this is what this is knowing that my family has set up a gofundme to help with our own expenses because we were in no way prepared and my two siblings are in middle slash high school i know for certain that they know because they texted my father hey good to see your gofundme's going well i'm too tired and stressed to even process if i have a right to be mad about any of this and my grandfather hasn't texted said me once about any of this am i the asshole no your grandparents sound like the assholes selfish selfish may i say a money grab Ugh. 
here's what I would do if I was the immediate family. I would do a different obituary. Mm-hmm. Current picture that she would want. Right. I would barely mention the parents. I wouldn't be so tasteless to completely omit them, but I would just be like, right. When resident you... of blah, 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 originally raised by parents in blah, 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 mm-hmm. something. But I would not. No. In that situation, you have to be the bigger person, the classier person, because it makes the grandparents' obituary, like it makes them look shady. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. Weird. Weird that they would do anything without speaking to the family. Mm-hmm. And not help with expenses and try and do their own funeral and stuff. It's weird. Weird. People get so weird. But that's the kind of shit where I'm like, you fuck something up there, I will never talk to you again. Mm-hmm. Weird. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some assholes, but not the people who wrote about them. Oh my god. Well, speaking of obituaries, I have a side bitch dress, but it's a listener email slash side bitch. Okay. And she linked the obituary, but also wrote out a ton of questions about the obituary. And after I read it, I had the same questions as her. I'll read a little bit of her intro and then read the obituary and then we'll read her questions. Let's hear it. Oh, bitches. Should you read this, feel free to use my name as I am the only one with nothing to hide. My inner child runs the shit show around here. This little girl grew up oblivious to the fact that she was slash is the third child, not the second. The first and only official family meeting took place the April before I turned 18. Strategically called by my parents just days before my brother married his wife. No other attendees were permitted to join the meeting. I don't know if she, the inner child, will ever forget sitting around the table with my parents who started the meeting by telling us how we were to feel. I have never been one to listen when told what to do or how to feel. Long story short, our parents told us that we have an older sister, one whom I have yet to meet, a sister that lives less than an hour away. Learning about her led me through excitement of knowing I could have a normal family member, sorry brother, to the disappointment of knowing she did not want to meet us. She needed medical history, and that is what spurred the confession from my parents. Not long after, the inner child started questioning who I really am and if there are more siblings. Who knows why I asked for a DNA test kit for Christmas in 2021. I guess the shit show ringleader needed to know who my monkeys are. Christmas was hardly the time to pursue what could lie behind curtain number two, but I had to know. My wonderful other half presented me with an ancestry DNA and private Christmas morning. Yep, in private. I was not comfortable with sharing my desire for scientific proof of who I am with my parents. The adult in me knows they cannot be mad at me for questioning nearly everything. If you have made it this far, it is my hope that you want to know scientifically who Amy is. I did too. I am the second great-granddaughter of the one and only Hans Peterson, born in 1843 in Denmark. A man that made it to the United States where he married Mary Elizabeth Nestor. Mr. Hans Peterson was 18 years old the day his wife was born. The Petersons had four, not three, daughters. Nothing was found in my research that seemed noteworthy until I found the below article slash obituary printed on September 7th, 1920. Farmer hangs himself on 77th birthday. Oh, shit. Hans Peterson committed suicide at his home Tuesday, found in barn. 
Tuesday afternoon, Mrs. Peterson and some neighbors found the lifeless body of Hans Peterson hanging from a rope in the barn on the Peterson farm. He had evidently committed suicide, and his body had been hanging for some time when discovered. The rope was around his neck, and the other end was tied over the rafter in the barn loft, which is so much detail for- So much. We always talk about it. Old obituaries and death notices gave it all. Gave it all. Hans Peterson was 77 years old, and Tuesday was his birthday. Birthday effect. Mm. His eyes were in very bad condition, and he was practically helpless and unable to work much. He worried much about his condition. Upon examination, it appears that he had planned the ending of his life carefully. He climbed to the barn loft and put a slip loop in the end of the rope. What the fuck? To go around his neck by using an iron ring. He then must have thrown the rope over the rafter, tied it, and jumped. They're like trying to map it out as if people cannot imagine what hanging yourself entails. 1920s newspaper. He leaves a wife and three daughters, Mrs. Henry Kinker, Mrs. Anna Brock Vogel, and another daughter in Iowa. At the time of the tragedy, his wife was in Bogard, where she went shopping, and it was not until she had come home that they missed him. The search finally led to the barn, and here they found the lifeless body. Funeral services at the home, Friday morning at 11 o'clock. Jeez, I can't imagine reading. It feels so, like, brash now, but I'm sure at the time it was just like, hey, this is matter of fact. Okay, so these are the questions that our Geoff sent us with this. So, number one, was this front page news, an obituary, or an advertisement for iron rings? (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely a G off that road. I know. Number two, why was the reporter so caught up on the details but didn't get the spelling of Hans' last name correct? Because in it, it says Peterson with a T, but really it's with a D. Oh, like Patterson or... Mm -hmm. Evidently committed suicide. Hmm. I am a true crime fanatic, and after reading this, I do not find anything suggesting otherwise. Number four, what was the average height of Barnes in the 1920s? I am impressed as to know how this 77-year-old blind man could climb a ladder high enough to reach the rafters to tie the rope without falling before the final act. Five, why do it on your birthday? Geoff, it's the birthday effect. Yes. Number six, unable to work much? What was the retirement age in the 1920s? Did they expect him to dig his own grave? This man had four daughters that married. Not one son-in-law, nephew, etc. could run the farm. I think I am of the same genetics as Hans. However, my other relatives seem lazy. And number seven, practically helpless? Says who? Define helpless. The man climbed a ladder, tied a knot, and jumped. Doesn't seem helpless to me. Number eight, he left behind his wife and four daughters, whom all had names regardless if they lived in Iowa. That was weird. They named his two daughters, but then the third, they just said, and a daughter who lives in Iowa. Yeah. And then she said, number nine, what was his wife Mary shopping for? Who knows? Maybe a birthday cake. And then number 10, does the very last sentence make it an obituary? I think it makes it a death notice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God. So she goes on to give us an update. She is scientifically her parents' daughter, and she doesn't have any other sibling matches, but she does say, one would think that the test was a waste of money, but it gave me the gift of knowing I came from a badass that went out of this world on his terms before death with dignity was a thing. I am not making light of mental health as I take two pills every night to tame the ringleader of my shit show. Oh, you're preaching to the choir over here. (laughs) We got a pharmacy in this this yeah, <laughs> she said, these are my monkeys. 
Oh my god. Wild. Wild, wild. What a side bitch. Crazy. Always love a good story from the G-Offs. All right, should we take a quick break and then get into some coffin spinners? Yes, we should. We'll be right back. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Wondery. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. Spencer, what were you doing in that coffin this week? Girly, I was shaking. <gasps> I was rattling. Uh-huh. And I was spinning. Oh, baby, there we go. <laughs> I did the whole damn thing. Oh, what made you spin? Oh, I, you know, I lit a stick of dynamite. Oh. I closed the lid. Uh-huh. And I gave him a show, honey. Oh, my God. And I'm going to give you the show right now while I use. Okay, let's hear it. Mine's going to take us a lot of different places today. That was like mine last week. I yeah. Did, I was like, Not here, geographically, here, here. but... Definitely stories wise, but mm-hmm. it, but it's all kind of similar. We a lot it. of it's based around everyday items with horrifying backstories. Oh, I love it. You might know about this first one because every few years it pops up and starts trending again on the internet for some reason, like someone will tweet about it. But did you know that chainsaws were originally invented to assist in childbirth? Oh, now I really don't want kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Well, what did they do? help with what for are they you, assisting for you and those of you geoffs who don't let's talk about the painful history like i'm already clenching over oh here. my god i know so i read a whole ass article from business insider that explains quote before the common use of the cesarean section all babies had to be passed through the birth canal But as we know, babies can become obstructed in there if they breach or are too large. Well, wait, so what would they, what would happen if you couldn't vaginally, the mother would die? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Oh my God. Okay. When babies couldn't fit through or they would get stuck in the pelvis, parts of the bone were removed to create more space for the baby. This is called a symphysiotomy. The procedure was originally performed by hand using a small knife and saw to remove the bone. This was Are all, you kidding me? This was all done without anesthesia to a woman in the middle of giving birth. It took a long time and it was messy and obviously very painful. And I'm thinking like, fuck, this is before like they had real good pain meds. Mm-hmm. Just like, what did they do? Were they just like, oh, here, take a shot of whiskey mm-hmm. or bite down on this bullet mm-hmm. and we're going to... 
saw through your vagina. Oh, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Here's the gist. Frustrated with a difficult, lengthy process of removing the pelvic bone, two Scottish surgeons, John Aitken and James <laughs> Clay Aitken. <laughs> and Reuben Stuttered. <laughs> yeah, and Reuben Stuttered, who later went on to American Idol fame. No, it's John Aitken. <laughs> John Aitken and James Jaffe developed the chainsaw in 1780. The original design consisted of what looks like a knife with little teeth on a chain that went around it in an oval shape. And it was, of course, they didn't have electric chainsaws. It was powered by a hand crank. Oh, even worse. (laughs) Imagine that coming. You better use the sharpest electric. Hmm. Put me out of my misery quick. Just kill me at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine this coming at you like good fucking... I have a picture. I'll show you. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Imagine that. Where did they cut? They didn't insert The birth that. canal. They had to like cut away the cartilage and the Stop. bones. From- no, 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 no. They would insert that into a vagina. Yes. And then saw away so that Are the you opening was big me? enough. Well, they had no choice. They had choices. <laughs> That was just their choice. They did so they... much crazy shit back then, too. They're like fucking drilling holes, trepanning people's heads and shit, but no one thought, hey, let's cut open the stomach to get the baby. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm sure everybody had babies. How ter- It's already terrifying to be pregnant, I'd assume. You know, like you have this life growing inside you. You gotta... Just fucked. But... Oh, Lord. The chainsaw eventually evolved to become the massive engine-powered sucker that we know today. That sold at Home Depot? (laughs) Yeah, but they didn't use those. It was, luckily back then, I do feel like it was more medical looking. (laughs) Imagine the doctor coming in with like the... (laughs) There's nothing medical looking about what you just showed me. It has a wooden handle (laughs) and a crank. Bitch. Oh, how do they (laughs) anti-bacteria? Well, I'll tell you how they made it medically safe, allegedly. Okay, next up, we've become pretty accustomed to torture. And let's be honest, working out can be a pretty torturous task, which Mm -hmm. we know Mm -hmm. from our spin classes we've been doing. And if the gym ever feels like a prison to you guys, well, you're well within your right to think so. Let's take a look into the fascinating story of why treadmills exist and how they ended up in everyone's fucking living room in the 90s. According to an article on mental floss in 1818, an English civil engineer named Sir William Cubitt created the first concept for a treadmill known as the tread wheel to reform stubborn and idle convicts. It was less like the horizontal device that we know now, and it was built more similar to like a Stairmaster, Mm -hmm. according to this article. Quote, in 1824, prison guard James Hardy credited the device with taming Newark's more defiant inmates, writing that it was the treadmill's monotonous steadiness and not its severity, which constituted its terror. Okay, wait, can I tell you something? Huh? I'm talking about some prisons today are you oh my gosh this this prison no but it's gonna link oh my gosh i love a link up i love it well this device led to a lot and i mean a lot of injuries and exertion amongst inmates until its popularity declined in the late 19th century for being viewed as too cruel Mm. 
Okay. The machine eventually became popularized again in the 60s for its health benefits. And I don't know about you, but pretty much everybody that I knew in like the 90s and early 2000s had one of these in their living room or home gym or garage. My parents had one in their bedroom. Uh Uh-huh. And (laughs) I went up there and they always told us don't use it if we're not around. And they would like make us clip the little like safety uh-huh, thing. The little like red clip that you exactly. would insert. Yes, like to us if we wanted to use it. And so one day I just go upstairs to their bedroom and I'm like, I'm going to use it. I'm going to get on it. Because it was fun when you were little. Yeah. Like, oh, oh I used this? to play with it all the time. We'd put our skateboards on it and shit. Yeah. So I'm walking on it. Mind you, it's positioned. The back of it is almost touching a wall. There's like a foot of space between the wall and the treadmill. So I'm walking. I fall, of course. I slide down the back of the treadmill and I get stuck between the the treadmill that's on and the wall and it scraped my knee skin off. Fuck. Yeah. Oh my god. So that's why I'll never get on one again. Yeah, she never walked again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. They, I mean, they're dangerous. Yeah, don't use them, guys. Yeah, don't work out. Ever again. (laughs) Dangerous. Okay, this one shocked me. What? Okay, if I was like, hey, Madison, which I would never call you Madison. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you know I'm mad at you already. Hey, Madison. Yeah. Will you go to the store and will you grab me some Lysol? Okay. What would you assume that I needed it for? That you're having some COVID freak out panic. (laughs) Me. Just need to wipe things down, right? Wipe down Uh the counters. Just clean it up. Well, turns out there's been some other uses for it in the past that are pretty fucking crazy. Of course. (laughs) Lysol first hit the scene in 1889. Victorians. Are you kidding me? It hit the scene as an antiseptic disinfectant to help fight off illness during the cholera epidemic of Germany. Okay. It was also widely used in the early 1900s to fight off the flu virus during the influenza pandemic. So she's been around. She's been through the decades. Mm-hmm. But by she's the been ni- through the viruses. Yes. But by the 1920s, it had become advertised to women as a feminine hygiene product. <gasps> oh, my god it was in magazine advertisements and everything just encouraging women to wash their genitals with the disinfectant liquid ouch which it would kill the bacteria from like sperm or whatnot but there's good bacteria there well it also smells so bad (laughs) i'm just kidding It also proved to be severely painful and damaging to the sensitive tissues down there. People would get like burns. Thank God they didn't shave. (laughs) Could you imagine a fresh shave and then just squirting it? (laughs) No. Painful. Well, I don't know, but I would assume painful. (laughs) You know, keep your husband happy. An article from the Huffington Post said, if the idea of cleaning your lady parts out with Lysol makes you cringe, you have the right instinct. Prior to a formula change in 1952, Lysol's soap solution contained Cresol, which has been described as a constituent of crude carbolic acid, a distillate of coal and wood, that in high concentrations could cause severe burning, inflammation, and even death. Oh, women, 
went through it. By 1911, doctors had recorded hundreds of Lysol-related deaths, including <gasps> five from uterine irrigation. Wait, were there any deaths from the chainsaw? <laughs> Who knows? God. Who knows? I wow. mean, we could. We have to go look for the death notices because you know it'll tell us back in the day. It totally <laughs> will. She washed her cooter with Lysol in it. <laughs> it was also being recommended for a period of time as a birth control. They thought that like after you had sex, if you... Like as a spermicide? But, yeah. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Eventually, it stopped being recommended for all of the above purposes and became the lemony fresh cleaner that we know and love today. Spray in your vagina to spray in doorknobs. Yeah. Love it. Yes. Now, somewhat similarly, actually, Listerine was used as a surgical antiseptic to clean cuts and scrapes, but it was also used as a floor cleaner and I guess a cure for gonorrhea. Oh. Which just feels like it would also be very painful. Uh Uh-huh. Now, we're going to get into some more terrifying medical devices. Well, first of all, we have to talk about this syringe that I found. It's not like the little baby ones we use today. This one is like a thick she's thick mm. and she's got a large suction tube way bigger Ooh. than like the hypodermic needles that okay. we use today and according to an article from stat news it was used in the 1500s to inject mercury as a treatment for syphilis often contracted by amorous sailors on the high seas wow it was used as a urethral syringe so they no. would the injection went directly into the penis through no. its quote-unquote natural openings no the, the piece slit yeah just shoved it right down in there and injected fucking mercury and it said often people would end up dying from mercury poisoning mm-hmm. before their syphilis complications would heal wow <laughs> that is terrible idiots std removal was fucking gnarly back in the day sometimes they would attach leeches to the genitals bustle said in one treatment doctors advised that a patient would be covered in strips of cloth that had been first dipped in a liquid containing lead like a mummy they called it sweating cloths okay which i guess lead yes dipped in lead which were pretty common but they obviously had horrible (laughs) side effects Mm -hmm. as well and led to a lot of deaths and there was also some pretty despicable beliefs circulating up until the Renaissance period about the virgin cure. Oh, God. Okay. So this was the idea that if you had an STD, if you went and had sex with a virgin, mm. your STD would go away and they wouldn't get it because they hadn't had sex with anyone yet. Are you kidding me? This is some bullshit. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Imagine. Imagine being the virgin, like seeing this fucking fucked up dick coming towards you (laughs) in that same article from bustle they say that in the old days in france they would slam a book shut on someone's genitals to try and expel pus when somebody was suffering from gonorrhea oh my mom had a (laughs) gonorrhea no god no she had something called a bible bump on her wrist oh yeah it's like a cyst it was like a cyst and you'd slam a book on it slam a book on it and her that's what her doctor said her doctor's like it'll probably just go away but you know it's called a bible bump uh-huh oh my gosh but on your wiener yeah like on someone's dick or balls they would just slam a book shot on it to try and expel the pus oh lord 
Some people also say that that's where the nickname The Clap comes from. Oh. From like the slamming sound of the book. Never knew that. Okay. The more you know. The more you know. Now this next one, Madison, you should be thanking your lucky stars that they got rid of it. <laughs> it's, it's called an ecrosaur. And it looks like a hacksaw. And they <laughs> they would roll it to tighten it. And it was used to strangle uterine cysts and ovarian tumors as well as hemorrhoids. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it says that the wire loop or chain was placed around the base of an unwanted growth and gradually tightened. That would eventually either cut through the base of the growth or cut off its blood supply until it gave up and dropped off. <laughs> No. <laughs> they said doing this was painful, particularly with hemorrhoids, but experts of the day argued that the pain was so short-lived compared with cutting. Oh, so short-lived. Yeah, don't cut it off. Just let us put this insane contraption oh, on God, your hemorrhoids. What if they're inside? They didn't even know you had them if they were inside. No, they used the fucking saw to open you up. Oh, <laughs> they got to check. Perfect. There were, I didn't include any of them on here, but there were a lot of contraptions that are pretty crazy looking for how they would open up a woman's vagina to look inside before. Because they would have to like crank them open because like think they don't have cameras or anything really. So like they would just like fucking... Well, we still get the... The pap smear, right? Yeah, and it's like a contraption that literally opens you up. They're going to look back on that one day and be like, what? (laughs) We're probably just going to be able to like walk into like a room that will just scan us. Oh, you queef on a keyboard and they'll tell you like, (laughs) you're good. (laughs) No, this is wild. In the 1800s, when they didn't have live leeches... Mm-hmm. To be used in treatments, they had what they called artificial leeches, where it was like this little metal cylinder with blades that would essentially do the same thing as leeches because the blades would rotate mm-hmm. and cut into the skin. And then this tube would suction out the blood. They had a similar tool called the scarificator, which. Okay, scarification. Don't, I don't know. Yeah. And it used 10 spring loaded blades. So all at once, it would just cut into the skin. I mean, we still kind of have things like that, like micro-needling. Mm-hmm. But the scarificator, it would slice the skin really quickly, and then they would heat up the device to create a vacuum effect, I guess. And then would it scar? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. This one's wild. It's called the spermatoria ring. And they were used in the 1800s and it would go around somebody's dick. And this was specifically for people that were suffering from nocturnal emissions or wet dreams. Mm -hmm. It was this thing that would go over the penis and it was covered in these little spikes Mm -hmm. to prevent people from getting erections. (gasps) And in my head, I'm like, that's not how... It works. Like, if you get a boner, you get a boner. You know what I mean? Like, Right. And what's wrong with that? I'm like, you're just going to end up with a bloody boner, which I'm sure a lot of people did. Oh, God. Okay, so we'll end with this one because it's something that we've talked about briefly before, but I don't remember you telling this story. And Mm -hmm. that is the tobacco smoke enema. Do you remember this? 
Yes. I remember what it was, but I don't know if I had any stories. Yes. It popped up a few times when I was like researching like weird devices and things that used to be used for different purposes. And one of the articles that I read on medtech.com said that back in the 1700s, a woman was supposedly resurrected with one of these bad boys. Mm. I was like, I need to know more about this story. And so I did some digging and apparently it happened in England in 1746. This woman had drowned. Mm -hmm. In this body of water, they pulled her out and they were trying all these different tactics to revive her. So they tried one of those tobacco enemas and hallelujah, she fucking made it. She lived. Just blow smoke up your ass. I know. In my head, I'm like, who was the first person to do this? Well, so in the episode where I talked about it, like super briefly, I guess indigenous people would do it. Well, right. But who was the first person who thought, hey, I'm going to blow smoke up this person's ass. Oh. And maybe that'll do something. Who knows? Who knows? God. <laughs> but you know what? That's like the best thing I've heard this whole list. Sign oh, me I... up for that. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. To... I'll take the tobacco enema over the fucking chainsaw. Over or... any of it. <laughs> any of it. I hate it. Or getting mercury injected into my dick. No, thank you. Oh, please. Please. Well, should we take another quick break and then you get into your coffin spinner? Let's do it. We'll be right back. As a killer psyche listener, you're probably always trying to learn more about forensic science and criminology. I know I am. That's why I'm thrilled to partner with the University of Florida Forensic Science Online Graduate Program. Their completely online program is designed for working professionals. Over 1,500 students have earned their master's degree since the program began in 2000. Specialize in forensic science, forensic toxicology, DNA and serology, or in forensic drug chemistry to gain the skills, expertise, and credentials to move ahead in your forensic career. Ready to shape your future in forensic science? Join the world's largest forensic science program and alumni network at forensicscience.ufl.edu slash killerpsyche. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And we're back. What you got? What had you spin it? Were you shaking in your coffin? Oh, I was. I was shimmying. I was shaking. I was spinning. The whole cemetery was quaking. Oh, baby. I love it. All right. So I was reading an article about how during the Victorian era, and guys, 
We just love the Victorian era, okay? It's when all the bullshit went down. Yes. So a Victorian era crime scene was straight up entertainment for these people. They didn't have TVs or movies. So to see like a real deal dead person was just a salacious. It was like us going to the wax museum. Oh, they loved it. It's like dark tourism, but with, well, I guess it would it categorically? Dark tourism. Yeah, it is. It's dark tourism. Yeah. So according to thevintagenews.com, quote, before television, movies, and the internet, options for entertainment in the Regency era were slim. Hmm. Many people were fascinated by death, which slowly began to take a morbid hold over society in the later Victorian era through seances, Ouija boards, and peculiar death rituals, which we all know. Whenever a murder occurred, flocks of tourists would appear at the crime scene to take in the gore, usually trampling over any evidence that could help solve the case. Some even held live auctions of crime scene evidence for tourists to purchase. Thank goodness we have true crime podcast today. Hell yeah. So this got me thinking, what were the crime scenes like? What were the police force like yeah did they have a police force how did they solve crimes because i just know it probably had to be nuts like their csi investigating was probably wild yes did they take mug shots what were the prisons like so we're gonna take a look into all that i love it this is right up my alley yeah oh yeah so crime was rising pretty exponentially after the industrial revolution there were new cities and so many more people which just naturally meant more crime by the mid-1800s, there were 20,000 crimes committed a year, which was much different from the early 1800s when crimes were about four to 5,000 a year. So it quadrupled, tripled. Yeah. Prisons were sometimes in the middle of towns and made to feel like an extremely scary place. It was something people had to see every day just on their way to the grocery store or walking around because... It was hopefully something that people would see and take in and deter them from committing any crimes because that's where they would end up. They're, oh, like with like the gibbets and all of that. Yeah, and just like, oh, that's the jail mm-hmm. right there because I feel like jails are usually in rural places or prisons are. <laughs> Let's first talk about prisons a little bit. In the early 1800s, if you weren't executed for your crimes, you were most likely shipped off to places like Australia, the U.S., or Tasmania. They sent people to the U.S.? Yeah. Well, yikes. Yikes. (laughs) And most of the time after you served your time, you couldn't even come back to where you lived because it was too expensive. Each prison was run by someone and it was kind of like their rules so sometimes you were put in prison you did your work you paid your dues paid your time and they're like well you need to pay me to even get out of here like scammers Uh uh-huh if you were put into a prison you were expected to stay quiet and do hard labor the hard labor was wild and you kind of talked a little bit about it with the tread wheel so you were either expected to walk for hours on a tread wheel. If you weren't doing it for your own physical health, the monotony of having to just fucking walk to nowhere all day would drive me nuts. All day. And you had to be quiet the whole time. No talking, nothing. 
if you weren't on the treadwheel, you were in your cell doing something where you would crank a wheel for hours. You'd like look into this box that was filled with sand and the wheel had just like little propellers and it would just move the sand and you'd have to do that for 10 hours. Boring. If that's not a reason not to commit a crime, I don't know what is. Oh my God. Or you had a rope and you had to separate each little strand of rope for hours. It's like untangling a necklace. Yeah. A nightmare. Every day, hours and hours. In the 1850s, all genders lived together in a prison. All ages, all convictions. Really? Mm-hmm. A gender is what surprises me yeah. the most. No, women, children. Children. Men. Yes. We won't talk about it on today's episode because it's not the Victorian era, but I do want to dive into something called the Bloody Code, which is before the Victorian era. So we'll revisit prisons and crime for sure, but we're just sticking with the 1800s pretty much. So all genders, all ages, all convictions. So you could be in there for something petty or you could be in there for murder. All together, same people. If you had money, you had a better time there and you had more privileges. There was also something called a debtor's prison. Anyone who couldn't pay their debts. So from taxes to rent, you couldn't pay. You were going to the debtor's prison. If you had a family, your family would typically go with you to work (laughs) off the debt. No. And you'd live in this like prison. Come on, Jimmy. We're getting in the car. We're coming to prison with your dad. Yeah, we got to pay off the debt. These places were typically small, like the size of a house, and you'd have to work making mass-produced things like potato sacks or baskets and just work it off. It was truly a way to really punish the poor. Alternatives to debtor's prison were poor houses and poor farms, Mm. which I never knew were a real thing. I just thought, I've just heard that saying. Like the expression. The expression, yeah. You're going to end up on the poor farm. Right, or she's in the poor house or whatever. Yeah. But they were actually real things. And they were the alternatives to the debtor's prison. Poor houses and poor farms were also known as workhouses. And these were government-run places that allowed you to have housing and live there with your family. But you also had to work. Charlie Chaplin was in a workhouse. His mom was a singer, but she lost her voice. And so she couldn't provide. And he had an alcoholic father. And so he went to a workhouse with his mom and his brother. And the thing in the workhouse is they separate the children and the parents. What? Wives from husband. Everything. God. And also, I read that they separate between good people and bad people. We don't know what that means. What Whoever they thought was bad or good. Probably motivated by everything you could think of from mm-hmm. race to sexuality. Absolutely. Or, yeah, physical appearance maybe even. God. Would not surprise me. Yes, I know. There was one prison called Her Majesty's Holloway Prison or HM Prison in London. It was in an old castle. It was Camden Castle, I guess. It opened in 1852 and it actually just closed in 2016. Did they have an oubliette? I bet. Probably. Oh my God, I know. Both genders were there from 1852 until about 1902 or 1903 when it became a female prison and it was a prison where there was the most female executions happening in England and it has a 
bad reputation. In the 1860s, prison reform happened. Women and men became separated, mostly because they were scared of sex work happening. At the prisons? At the prisons. Well, men and women are together. They're What are they going to do? Yeah, trade a cigarette for a blowy. Exactly. I read that these prisons, a lot of people felt like they were sometimes better off in the prison because they got an amazing bath once a week. They didn't have to work. They had beds that were good. They had a library. The building was very warm, so they never had to be cold. They got exercise if they wanted it. But the food, I guess, was incredible. Three meals a day. (gasps) Wonderful. After the prison reform, it was segregated into different classes. So you had your first class. You got things like being able to read or being able to have visitation. Middle class, you were able to sew. Lower class, you weren't treated very well. Now, let's move on to some crimes. So, Victorian crimes. It was anything from treason, to murder, to burglary, petty theft, pickpocketing. But I read that, like, the most rampant was sex work and drunkenness. So let's move on to the Victorian crime scene investigation. That's my favorite show, Law and Order Victorian Crime. <laughs> CSI Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> so let me preface this by saying that I think they probably did the best they knew how and followed things that we actually still use today. Well, that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> I know, that's true. But a crime scene back then was not like what we know of today, like the quote I read earlier about it being entertainment. People would show up and walk onto an active crime scene and fuck up so much. Also, evidence would be removed from the scene and sometimes would be cleaned until they needed it in court. Oh, 100%. I've done a few stories on Cult Leader. They were so loose with how they operated and how they restricted people from accessing crime scenes even up until today honestly i mean things get fucked with all the time Mm -hmm. there were coroners back then and they would be arranged to show up at a crime scene and i read a wonderful article on victoriansupersleuth.com sound like you'd be a friend of ours And I want to read a little quote from that article just to give you a good description. It says, quote, The body of the unfortunate victim sometimes remained at the scene until the coroner made arrangements for its removal, or it was taken to a nearby building such as an outhouse, the workhouse infirmary, or even the local pub. It was common to wash the body prior to examination, which that doesn't sound right to wash the body prior to examining. No. Well, I mean, they probably didn't have fingerprinting and stuff back then. So like, I mean, they're just working with what they got. They put the chainsaw. (laughs) That's true. And we're going to get into fingerprinting. They wiped them down with Lysol. Exactly. Which killed everything. lead cloths on them. Uh Uh-huh. And then shot mercury into their dicks. And there you go. Hey, this is what's they died of natural causes. (laughs) They're like heads missing. Yeah. (laughs) It goes on to say it was 
common to wash the body prior to examination, presumably to make the experience more palatable for the coroner and jury members who typically viewed the body before the inquest proceedings began. Oh, that's interesting. Like they didn't show photographs in a courtroom to the jurors. No. So they're like, you have to look at the body. You got to look at the body, the real deal. But we're going to make sure it's pretty for the autopsy technician first because God forbid God they see forbid. something gross on I the know. body. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so backwards. It goes on to say the Bermondsey murder in 1849 demonstrates this process. On the 17th of August in 1849, while investigating a missing person case, two police officers discovered the body of a man under some flagstones in the kitchen in a house in Bermondsey. Noticing a damp patch on the stone floor... P.C. Henry Barnes and his colleague had removed the flags and dug into the wet mortar until they came across a man's toe and then his loins. The man who was naked was facing downwards with his legs drawn up behind him and tied with a clothesline. Although his face was partly decomposed, he was identified as Patrick O'Connor by his set of false teeth. Patrick O'Connor's body remained at the scene until the following day. The quick lime, which had been used in the mistaken belief that it would hasten the decomposition, was washed from the body before the postmortem, which was performed in the house on the kitchen table. Can you imagine that? No, I can't imagine any of it. The false teeth were taken for safekeeping by the coroner's clerk and later produced in court. The police searched the house, which belonged to a married couple, Frederick and Maria Manning, for clues and removed all incriminating items such as the deceased's clothing and his umbrella. This was fairly typical of crime scene investigation at the time, and four years earlier, the first guidance of doctors when confronted by a possible murder victim was published in 1844 by William Augustus Guy, professor of forensic medicine at King's College London. In the first edition of principles of forensic science, Guy set out his advice, which was aimed at medical experts rather than the police. He instructed doctors to observe the location of the body, its position, the soil or surface on which it was laying, any nearby objects, and the victim's physical appearance and clothing. I guess we have him to thank for thinking of that stuff. Yeah, at least he was thinking. So some of the things that Victorian investigators did, they interrogated and depended on eyewitnesses, which is absolutely scary to me because depending heavily on what other people have to say is scary. Yeah. Like if someone, you know, some shit went down like, oh, I don't like her. Like she was there. You know, uh-huh. I saw her. I don't know. I saw Mrs. She's a witch and I saw her there. I Exactly. They also would do sketches. The 1800s like was. Like Saturday Night Live. They would do Saturday Night Live <laughs> sketches and reenact it. No, the 1800s was really like when the police sketch came into play. But I if, bet they were wild. Wild. I know. But again, if you had a disgruntled, not very honest eyewitness, like how accurate could the sketch be? They also did something called offender profiling, which is profiling what they think the person would be. So offender profiling was the method used to figure out what the criminal was like or what type of person he was based on types of crimes and the crime scene. During this time, I know you've talked about Jack the Ripper a ton, right? Yeah, I've done an episode on him. So during this time, the Jack the Ripper case, it was obviously a huge case and they were profiling him and like what he would be like. 
a police surgeon named Thomas Bond gave his offender profile. I found his notes on Wikipedia. It says, in his notes, dated November 10th, 1888, Bond mentioned the sexual nature of the murders coupled with elements of apparent misogyny and rage. Bond also tried to reconstruct the murder and interpret the behavior pattern of the offender. Bond's basic profile included that the murderer must have been a man of physical strength and great coolness and daring. Subject to periodic attacks of homicidal and erotic mania, the characters of the mutilations indicate that the man may be in a condition sexually that Hmm. may be called satiriasis. Okay, so they also did ballistics testing. They also used some microscopes and molds. They checked for footprints. They checked for fibers and hair. They also did crime scene photography. And you've mentioned this where... The eyes? The eyes. I was thinking of that while you were talking about this. I, when you were saying something, I was like, well, they thought they could photograph the eyes before. So, uh... Yes. Okay, so fingerprints. There were scientists in the 1700s and early 1800s who had hypothesized that someone could possibly leave their fingerprints at the scene of a crime. Uh Uh-huh. There was a scientist in 1788 that recognized that everyone had their own individual fingerprint. In 1823, nine fingerprint patterns were identified. Mm. Then in 1840, there was a murder of Lord William Russell and a doctor named Robert Blake Overton was adamant that fingerprints needed to be checked in the 1860s sir william james herschel introduced fingerprints as a means to identify criminals in india and to use fingerprints on important documents then dr henry falds in 1880 felt that they were so important in identification and he was the one who was like hey we need to dip these babies in some ink and record them Then in 1892, a scientist named Francis Galton, his half-cousin was Charles Darwin. Oh, okay. Nepotism. Nepotism. (laughs) He studied fingerprints vigorously and found that fingerprints were extremely individual and had a whole classification system with them. And he calculated that someone having the same fingerprint as someone else is 1 in 64 billion the first person to have their fingerprints used to solve a murder was the case of Francisca Rojas. In Argentina, on July 8th of 1892, Francisca was found by police with wounds on her neck. She had two little boys, but they were found murdered. They had actually died June 29th, 1892, so two weeks before that. They were brutally murdered by their neighbor, Pedro Raymond Velasquez. Francisca had a little love affair with Raymond, I guess, and he wanted to marry her, but thought that her kids were brats. So Pedro murdered them. But when police started asking him, he had an alibi and he vehemently denied murdering the boys. So one of the officers noticed a dried bloody fingerprint on a door in Francisca's house and took that piece into examine it and it matched her fingerprints 
Oh, shit. And the ones on her neck. And when she was shown all this evidence, she confessed. She broke down, confessed she killed her children. And this case was so important because it truly gave people faith in the fingerprint. How embarrassing for her, though. She's like, thinks like, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got She's it. Like, and they're like, so we actually just came up with something. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. And <laughs> we're just going to like have you dip your fingers in this. She's like, oh. Fuck, the oh. jig is up, babe. The jig is up. Oh, sorry, Miss Francisca. Oh, my God. Lastly, they did autopsies and toxicology. If you're a geoff, you know we did a two-part episode on Victorian poisons. They were everywhere and cheap and literally just sold at the local store. Oh, yeah. Most poisons were meant to be used as medicines, but many times they were used to murder. Sometimes people just accidentally poison themselves too. How could you not? How could you not? Most of the time they were like, oh, they died of natural causes, but they were really poisoned until the Marsh test was invented. What's this? In 1836, chemist James Marsh was responsible for coming up with this test. It detected arsenic poisoning. This method was used until the 1970s, this Marsh test. If arsenic was in the body, you would mix bodily fluids with, I believe it's zinc and acid? Some scientific thing. You'd mix these two things. If there was arsenic present with the body fluids, it would produce arsenic seen gas the first time it was used was in the lafarge poisoning case marie lafarge was born in paris in 1816 and she was raised by her aunt and uncle because her parents died when she was young she was well off but didn't have a great relationship with her aunt and she really didn't have any friends her uncle found her a husband through a marriage broker He found her Charles Lafarge, and he was also using the marriage broker. He was once super wealthy and had a great inheritance, but blew it and filed for bankruptcy, but he continued to put out false advertisements. He was saying he was a rich man. He had lots of property. Oh, the amount of people that used to do that back in the day? Oh. Wild. Well, it cost him. So Marie met Charles and was definitely not into him, but was into his occupation and his money they married only four days after they met then they went to go live at his home and she hadn't seen his home but when they pulled up she was absolutely disappointed because she was like oh he doesn't have any money she wanted to divorce asap and threatened suicide by arsenic charles was actually understanding about all of it and was like hey you don't have to act as my wife you can live here though and we can just go about as friends she convinced him to change his will and leave everything to her and he did and she promised the same to him although he made another will and left the property to his mom anyway he went out on a business trip and marie thought it would be nice to send him like a sweet letter while he was away and some goodies he ate the cake read the letter felt great but then he kind of started feeling sick and he came home from his business trip She nursed him back to life and made sure his belly was full of good nourishing stuff. The cholera epidemic was going on around that time, and so doctors just assumed it was that. 
Well, it wasn't. It was all of the arsenic she was putting into his food, and he died a month later. But many relatives of his had suspected that she was poisoning him. She was arrested and made to stand trial. The Marsh test was used, and this is the first time it was used, to find any poisons. And sure enough, they found arsenic in his body. She went to jail for 12 years. When she was released, she died a few months later of tuberculosis. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. The Victorians, the they 1800s. They kind of knew. Without the technological advances that we have now, they were like ahead of the game. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear the, because obviously... We have a lot of listeners that are interested in true crime, uh-huh. which we don't really talk about on here too much. Yeah. So it's interesting hearing like the inception of a lot of these things. Yeah. Wild. Wild, wild. But I can just picture the Victorians like at a crime scene like, oh my God, let's sell this. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Crazy. Well, well, should we get into some obituaries? Let's do it. I'm actually very excited about my obituary today. Um, it's one that I found in the papers. All right. Okay, my obituary is from July 28th, 1934. Okay. And it says, Ugly Duckling at last became a swan is mourned. God. Santa Barbara, California, July 28th. Marie Dressler, veteran actress of the stage and screen, died today. She was 62 years old. She succumbed to a long affliction with cancer, heart trouble, and uremia. Death came at 3.25 p.m. for the ugly duckling. Oh, my God. Who became a swan of laughter during a career (laughs) replete with both hardships and glory. Under the care of physicians and several nurses, she died at the CKG Billings Estate, where she went from Hollywood three months ago because of a physical breakdown. Hope for her recovery was abandoned some three years ago, despite a story of vitality that surprised her physicians. Miss Dressler learned two years ago that she had an incurable ailment, but took a course of treatment that enabled her to make two more pictures at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studio in Culver City. By working only a few hours daily, finally she was forced to seek a long rest. Oh my god! Rough. Rough? <laughs> Rough. I Feel bad for her. I know. A swan of well, do you want to see her? Was she an ugly duckling? She homely? Mm, seems pretty accurate. <laughs> oh, oh my I think she was a swan. Oh, yes, of laughter. Oh, my gosh. No, we love her. She's gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls. This was sent in to us by a geoff. And it says, hey, Spencer, hey, Madison, longtime listener and big fan here. I look forward to putting on a new episode of Obituary every week and getting anybody around me to listen as well. I have always wanted to write to you but never got the chance to as I am not one to have attended any interesting funerals or have a scathing obituary to share. However, very recently, our family hamster passed away, and as a way to heal from the sudden passing, I decided to write him an obituary. I would apologize for the length in true obit fashion, but our little hamster's life deserved to be heard. Then they sent a follow-up email, and they said, He is now eternally a little brown smear. Just got his ashes back, and it is less than a teaspoon. Oh my god, you could snort it. For a hamster. It is with profound sadness that we announce the passing of our beloved hamster. 
King Amethyst Miku Montague III, aka Prince of Potatoes, Slayer of Alien Jesus, Little Brown Smear, and Supreme Orb Master. He passed away at the age of two, gracefully in his burrow, surrounded by millet, dried fruit, crumbs, and half-eaten seeds. King briefly entered our lives in 2020 and quickly stole all of our hearts. Despite his small stature, he was full of more audacity than he will ever fully know, as he could always be found squaring up to our cats from the other side of his enclosure (laughs) and attempting to throw himself off the coffee table. (laughs) We will miss the faint sound of him nibbling away at sunflower seeds and the squeak that would come from his wheel when he would run laps at 3 a.m. King is survived by his four queer parents and his three feline siblings. He is preceded in death by his canine siblings he never got to meet, but will finally get the chance to on the Rainbow Bridge. And Aww. look at him. He has a little crown on. Little guy. Oh, cute. love him. Cute, cute, cute. We read all types of obituaries here. We truly do. I love it. You never know what you're going to get on this show, but I'll tell you what you're going to get next. Some dumb. Criminals! Let's do it. Mine is... (laughs) <laughs> wild so this happened in may of 2021 in ohio uh-huh. officers from the south euclid police department are called down to the local walmart okay the employee who called was frantic there was an altercation happening between two patrons at the store two female shoppers and once officers arrived they were led to the potato chip aisle mm. where the fiasco had escalated here's the tea so i guess one of the women had a restraining order against the other one <gasps> Okay. They had some previous beef, but nothing like the beef that went down in this Walmart. The two saw each other. One of them had her seven-year-old daughter with her. Mm -hmm. The other lady was like, I'm going to beat your ass, and I'm going to beat her ass, too. (laughs) Like the (laughs) seven-year-old. It's like that TikTok trend that's like, hey, there's a girl that wants to fight me. (laughs) So the other woman spits at her, and then she does something absolutely wild. She grabs a 10-pound log of ground beef. And starts smacking her in the fucking head with it. The police posted a picture of the ground beef on Twitter and arrested the woman for assault, but say that they have no clue what the original beef was about. Oh, I love it. Squash and beef with a beef. Why not? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Oh, well, mine takes place in May also of 2022. So this year, this happened in Belfast, Maine. So I guess there was a guy at the Admiral Ocean Inn one Sunday night, and he was super intoxicated, and he was just causing a disturbance. (gasps) Police were called on him. They arrived, and they removed this man named Philip Delude from the property they even told him that if he came back that he would be arrested so he needed to get out of there right well a few hours later the police were called again about this man that was disturbing the peace and police came but all they saw was this (laughs) (laughs) what is that that's him he said I'm just a little ghost. I'm a ghost. So this guy was sitting in front of a room there with a white sheet over him like a ghost. <laughs> the police went up to him, pulled off the sheet. It was him. They fucking Scooby-Dooed his ass. He just wanted to be there. Just a little hide and seeker. But I 
found an article on Reader's Digest of the 10 dumb hiding spots that burglars always find. And I think it's, I think you guys need to know this. Under the mattress, don't do it. A burglar will look. Your closet, a burglar's gonna look there. Your dresser drawers, burglar's gonna look there. The portable safe, they're gonna look. Medicine cabinets, they're gonna look. Your freezer. Oh, I'm like picturing bodies and I'm like, Oh, I guess it'd be hard to fit under a mattress, but I guess. And then I'm like, who fits in a drawer? A medicine cabinet? Now I've heard everything. Only Doritos. So this is where to hide your fucking. Your money, your jewels, whatever. This is what not to do. Okay. No freezer. Mm. Which I kind of think would be good. Why would you look in the freezer? Obviously not your office drawers. A vase. They're going to look in a vase. Oh. Your liquor cabinet they're going to look at. And any suitcases they will look through. Nowhere safe. So where are you supposed to hide it? Well, the safety deposit box. At the bank? Yep. Okay. Gotta do it. Alrighty. (laughs) Well... Well, I think that's where we'll leave it for the week. Hopefully we see some of you guys at the live show. Ah! But that's it for this week. Follow along online at obituarypod on Instagram and Twitter. Write to us at obitpod at gmail.com. You can send stuff to our P.O. Box, which we have some birthday presents for Miss Madison. Ah! P.O. Box 18149, Long Beach, California, 90807. But I'm making her wait until her actual birthday, which is, sorry to spoil this. This is being recorded before. Yeah. And we'll see you next time for some more Coffin Spinners. Obituaries. And dumb. Ass criminals. criminals. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Ping! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.